0: I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live safely in your land." I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favour and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You You will be still eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put a dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians." I broke the bars of your yoke and and enabled you to walk with heads held high. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. uh, Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. If after all of this you will not listen to me, I will punish you with your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze." Your strength will be spent in vain, because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. Jumping to verse um, twenty-five. Uh, at the end of uh, at the end of forty days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron, and the whole Israelite community. At oh sorry, did I? I think I've missed. Oh, there we go. That page. Sorry, um, j- jumping. <laughs> chapter twenty-six. <laughs> um, jumping to thirty-one. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries, and I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offerings. I will lay waste. I will the wa- waste the land, so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years, all the time that it lies desolate, and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. 38. You will perish among the nations, the land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins. Also because of their father's sins they will waste away. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile towards them, so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land." For the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws and abhorred their decrees. Yet, in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them nor abhor them so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant with their ancestors whom i brought out of egypt in the sight of the nations to be their god i am the lord these are the decrees the laws and the regulations that the lord established on mount sinai between himself and the israelites
1: i'm going to pray for us before we look further at this passage together heavenly father uh, please bless us, we pray, with a deeper understanding of your, your word and your purposes and your character as we reflect on these chapters of Scripture together. Uh, so please, may your Spirit open the eyes of our hearts and minds uh, and hear you speaking to us personally through it today. Amen. So we're continuing this uh, wonderful journey through the Bible. Uh, by the time of Leviticus chapter 26, which John had just read to us, Uh, Israel is nearing the end of her time at Mount Sinai. Uh, She's been there for two years in total uh, and during that time uh, she's been receiving details of the covenant uh, and also she's been building the tabernacle, that dwelling place uh, where God dwells amongst them. But before they leave Sinai, uh, Moses now summarizes uh, the main elements of this Mosaic Covenant, this covenant that God has made with his people at Sinai. And this summary is to help them and us to understand it because, of course, it would be easy to get lost in the woods. And what becomes clear is that the blessings promised under the Mosaic Covenant are actually the same ones as promised to Abraham, only now they are expanded and developed. If you remember, of we've been seeing the kids' talks, Uh, The promise of blessing, relationship, land, and a great nation. Uh, But unlike in the covenant with Abraham, in the covenant with Moses, uh, there was a condition. uh, And the condition is this. If you obey, then these blessings will be yours. If you obey, it's now conditional. So let's see how these promises are developed Firstly, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be blessed. But he didn't say how. And now that clarity is provided. If Abraham's descendants obey, they will enjoy prosperity and success in the land. Leviticus 26, verse 3. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands... I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the great harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. Partnered with prosperity and success would also be that third bedfellow, Peace. Uh, Verse 6, God continues. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. So there it is. uh, The promise of this incredible prosperity and success if they obey. However, if Israel disobeys she actually will experience the opposite. She is going to suffer. She will be oppressed and she will be defeated. She will be denied the enjoyment of the wonderful bounty of this land. Verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. Also verse 20. uh, Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. Doesn't this sound familiar? Doesn't it carry the echoes of God's curses at the time of the fall? Uh, Look again at Genesis chapter 3. God says to Adam and Eve, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. What we are seeing is that the blessings are increasingly looking like A partial return to Eden before the fall. But what we're also seeing is that the curses are actually a development of the curses issued at the fall. So that was the first promise to Abraham, the promise of blessing, and we've traced it through to Moses. Uh, Secondly, uh, Abraham's descendants were promised a relationship with God. And so now, if Israel is obedient, uh, here again, God's presence will be with them. Uh, this promise is developed. In uh, Leviticus 26, verse 11, God says this. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not, not abhor you. I will walk among you, and you will, and will be your God, and you will be my people. Uh, do you see, here again, there are echoes of what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. However, conversely, if Israel disobeys, then not only will they lose God's intimate presence with them, but they will actively incur God's active opposition against them. Uh, Leviticus 26, verse 17. God says these awful words. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. You see, the disaster which will come upon Israel if they're disobedient will come because God will actively work to destroy them. Uh, he will change from being her God to being her enemy. Uh, let's pick up on the third promise to Abraham uh, the promise of land. Uh, The promise of land uh, is a a big part of the promise to Abraham and his descendants. Uh, Whilst the promise of obtaining the land in Leviticus 26 is actually um, not specifically restated, uh, it's implied by the fact that they're told that their time in the land will be peaceful and prosperous. But what is explicitly stated is that if they disobey, then actually they will lose the land. Look at uh, verse 33 to 34. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate. And you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. The fourth promise to Abraham, of course, was the promise of his descendants becoming a great, numerous nation. And this also here is restated in verse 9. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. So do you see, uh, Leviticus 26 shows very clearly that the Mosaic covenant is unconditional. Israel will only be blessed if she keeps the terms of the covenant. And we are now in a position to understand how the Mosaic covenant fits together with the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, We can now see how it furthers God's plans. If Israel obeys the terms of the Mosaic covenant, she will inherit the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Then she will enjoy a reversal of some of the effects of the fall. And in this way, God's promises to Abraham could be fulfilled. You see, the Mosaic Covenant is a possible means by which God could fulfill his promises to Abraham. So the question is this. How will Israel fare? The track record has not been very promising thus far. If you remember, in addition to the golden calf incident, which we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, since then the people have groaned and grumbled ever since leaving Egypt. But maybe now uh, they will turn over a new leaf. And so we come to Numbers chapters 13 to 14. And by this time, uh, Israel has now left Mount Sinai and journeyed to within spitting distance of the promised land. We have a, a map here. Uh, They are now camped at the place indicated as Kadesh Barnea on the map. Uh, There it is. And so it is at this point that that God, uh, that we see what happens next when we come to this point. And we're going to hear now from uh, the highlights, if you like, of Numbers chapters 13 to
2: 14. 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Picking up at verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it, and the people we saw her are of great size. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader who will take us back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelites. Assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephnewah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn. this is what the Lord says, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert your bodies will fall, every one of you twenty years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb son of Jephanuah and Joshua son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. And then from verse 39. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Earlier the next morning, they went up towards the high country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies, for the Amalekites and Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them all the way back to Horma. Uh,
1: A dramatic twist and turn in the unfolding plot of the Bible narrative. Of course, uh, when planning any conquest campaign, um, they required information and so um, they sent out spies to conquer, to investigate the land. They didn't have the benefit of satellite data. Uh, As we've seen, the spies bring back a mixed report. Uh, Whilst the land is every bit as good as God promised, uh, they say its inhabitants are very strong. Uh, They live in fortified cities. We've got no chance. And so uh, they have this choice. Uh, Clearly, the inhabitants of the land are very capable of defending it, Uh, prudence and common sense would suggest that they should just leave it to its occupants. But of course, God had promised them this land. He'd promised to go with them. He'd promised to give them possession of the land and to give them victory over their enemies. And therefore, the trust before them is this. Trust and obey or doubt and run away. And unfortunately, as we've seen, uh, they chose the latter. Uh, They rebelled against God And they rejected his plan for them. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And so, of course, the result is utter disaster. Uh, God condemns every male over 20 years except Joshua and Caleb to death in the desert. This stiff-necked, faithless generation is destined to die out in the desert. And it will be the next generation, their kids, who will actually be the ones who inherit the land. Numbers 14, verse 29. In this desert, your bodies will fall every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. None of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Dethneur, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. Those knights have a change of heart. Uh, They realize the error of their ways, they decide to give it a go, and they attack the Canaanites. But now it is too late. God has already issued judgments on them. Uh, They try to enter the land in defiance of God's word, and as a result, God allows their enemies to defeat them. Uh, We're now in a position to see how these two sets of passages, firstly Leviticus 26 and Numbers 13 to 14 interrelate. Uh, Numbers 13 to 14 begins to show how Israel will respond to the Mosaic Covenant summarized in Leviticus chapters 26. And Leviticus chapters 26 explains why God acts as he does in Numbers chapters 13 to 14. Follow? Good. If not, see me after. Uh, We are starting to see how the Mosaic Covenant is going to work out. Uh, The blessings of the covenants were about to be fulfilled, but instead it is the curses of the covenants that are enacted. And sadly, this is a pattern that will be repeated throughout the remainder of the Old Testament. So, is this the end of God's rescue mission? Are the promises to Abraham never to be realized? If Israel does not obey the Mosaic covenants, then she won't inherit the blessings. Instead, she will get the curses. There is a small glimmer of hope against this dark backdrop. Uh, Whilst the Mosaic covenant is conditional, if you obey, uh, the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. Uh, that means that by some means, God is committed to fulfilling it, no matter what. He will simply have to find another way. And in Leviticus chapter 26, we get a little bit of a hint of how this will happen. Maybe you noticed it. Uh, look at uh, chapter 26, verse 40. But if they can, will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me, and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile towards them so that I will send them into the land of their enemies, then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. Verse 44. When they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or abhor them so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. So you see, Israel will experience the curses of the Mosaic Covenant, but this will not be the end. Uh, God won't destroy her completely. Uh, Instead, after punishing her, If she repents, he will once again remember his unconditional covenant with Abraham. So as we pull the strands together and in conclusion, uh, three observations to make. Uh, The first is this. Sin is the central problem. Uh, The most important lesson of the Mosaic Covenant is this. The problem of sin needs to be dealt with before... God's blessings can be enjoyed. Or to put it another way, God will only fulfill his promise to reverse the effects of the fall when the cause of the fall is dealt with. What we're seeing is this. The Mosaic Covenant advances this salvation storyline in an important way. The Mosaic Covenant gives us the first hints of how the problem of sin won't be dealt with and how it will be dealt with. Uh, firstly, how it won't be dealt with. Israel's performance shows that human beings cannot play a part in solving the problem of sin. Uh, we've now had uh, the instance of the golden calf, the rebellion at the entrance to the land, but this will not be the end of it. Over the centuries that follow, uh, Israel will consistently disobey. Uh, in their own strength, people do not have the power To overcome sin. You see, the seeds of sin are embedded in in human nature, and in time, that inevitably produces its dark fruit. And yet, we've also seen in the Mosaic covenants a hint of how the problem of sin can be dealt with. We saw it last week in Leviticus chapter 16. It was, of course, the death of a sacrifice. The second truth, which becomes clear, is that God's patience with sin is not inexhaustible. Uh, Israel's story uh, carries an obvious warning. Uh, They assumed that after their rebellion, uh, the offer of the land would still be on the table. And yet, this of course was not the case. Uh, They attempt in vain to enter the land, but by this point, it is too late. They fail to realize this. God's patience can be exhausted. There comes a point where God's judgment becomes irrevocable. And it's an encouragement to us to keep our hearts soft towards God. Are we not at various times all prone to the danger of having a lax attitude to our sin? Uh, Maybe we are weakened in our resolve to resist sin because we assume "Eh, we can always repent later. Uh, It is dangerous to presume on the patience of God. In the word of the New Testament letter uh, of the Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The third thing which comes out of what we're seeing is this. We can now start to see both heaven and hell more clearly. What do I mean? Well, as the narrative of the Bible's storyline develops, uh, we are starting to see in clearer relief both what the blessings and the curses mean in reality. Israel's life in the land puts flesh on the bones of God's promises to Abraham. It's giving us, if you like, an outline of life in a restored Eden. However, the curses do the opposite. They show in clearer relief the awfulness of being under God's wrath. The blessings give us the first taste of heaven's excellence. The curses give us the first hint of hell's horror. And just as God has to teach Israel and us how wonderful his new creation will be, so also he has to teach them and us how appalling his judgments will be. Uh, For a long time... Uh, Christians have reacted against the hellfire damnation sermons of some of the Puritan preachers. However, we need to realize that those preachers had grasped an important truth. Uh, Just because they labored it excessively doesn't give us license to ignore it. On the positive side, our hearts are given hope as we glimpse the glory of heaven. Amidst the brokenness of life now, we can fix our eyes upon Jesus and keep running the race knowing that the new creation awaits at the finish line. Shall I pray? (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, the Bible is your book. Uh, You have uh, overseen its authorship. You have instructed human authors to write it uh, and its history Uh, and its prophecies ultimately reveal your integrated plan to rescue humanity and to fix the problems of the world. As we continue on this journey, uh, working our way through it, uh, help us to be uh, struck by a deeper sense of awe and wonder uh, at all that you are doing and have done throughout salvation history. And help us to have a deeper sense of awe and delight in the end points, the goal, the new creation. And may we be drawn to a deeper trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one who enables us to inherit all the blessings of your promises to Abraham uh, in spite of our consistent disobedience and through his obedience. Amen.